grace and peace of Christ be with you. And also with you. Let's turn and greet one another. We welcome you to Laguna Presbyterian Church, and we're especially glad that you're here if you're visiting with us today. There is a friendship pad that is on each pew towards the center aisle, and we'd love it if you would take it and fill it out. Let us know that you're here today, whether you're a regular or whether you're visiting with us, and pass it down the aisle and then back to the center. The announcements for this week are in our bulletin in the Connections. And you'll notice on the cover that we are having a Red Cross blood drive all day this Wednesday. Still need people to sign up to give blood. And you can do that out on the patio today. Also on the inside, you will see we have a couple of events that we're doing focusing on the Japanese-American internment during World War II. One is a book discussion, discussing the book Infamy, with Steve Yamaguchi, which is this coming Saturday at Fuller Seminary's Orange County office near the Orange County Airport. And he and his mother will be leading that. His mother was interned in the war. And so they're going to be talking about what that was like. Even if you've not read the book, you're welcome to come. And you can sign up if you'd like a ride or if you can give a ride to somebody on the patio. If you're just going to get yourself there, you don't need to sign up. Uh, also, there's a field trip that we're doing the following Friday into Los Angeles to Little Tokyo to the Japanese American National Museum. Uh, Dave and I tested that out this week. We went. It was great fun. We had lunch in downtown Tokyo, ran into Ron Hubbard on the train. It's a very easy connection, and uh, we'll be there to help you buy tickets and get you through the whole thing. So you do need to sign up for that. I have only 30 spots for the tour at the museum, and um, if we haven't filled it, then I'm going to open it up to other people from other places this coming Saturday. So if you want to do that, be sure that you sign up today for that. I'm also seeing that next Sunday we start accepting donations for school supplies for the children at Camp Pendleton School as they get back to school this year. The flowers this morning are in celebration of the 44th anniversary for Jeff and Ann Brown. So we congratulate them on their 44th anniversary. And we welcome to our pulpit today Craig Williams. Some of you know him as Chelsea and Lindsay's dad, or you know him as the guitar player in the band, which you often see him as. Craig was on our staff for 15 years. He was our youth director and associate pastor in the 80s. Yeah? It was a long time ago. In the 80s, way back then. Uh -huh. He was very young when he did it. Um, and then he left and became the founding pastor at Tribuco Presbyterian Church, and he is now a member at large in Los Ranchos Presbyterian and works as a consultant for people who are doing church planting. So we're very happy to welcome Craig to preach to us the Word of God today. Thanks for coming and doing that. Let's turn our hearts to the Lord. Let's pray. There is no plant in the ground but tells of your beauty, O Christ. There is no creature on the earth, there is no life in the sea, but proclaims your goodness. There is no bird on the wing, there is no star in the sky, there is nothing beneath the sun, but is full of your blessing. Let all creation praise you. Let all that breathes praise you. Let our minds and hearts and voices join to praise you this morning through Christ our Lord. Amen call to worship. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my soul. 
Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For, for your steadfast love is higher than the heavens, and your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Be, Be exalted, O God, above the heavens, and let your glory be over all the earth. So let us stand and praise him together. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Sun comes up, it's a new 
hands in order to use them for his purpose. God asks for our mouths to speak against injustice. God asks for our eyes to see the pain of poverty and isolation. God asks for our lives that God's work could be done through us. Yet we know we give our hands only for a moment, then withdraw them because the work is too hard. We only give a whisper against injustice, that we might not be accused. We close our eyes because we don't want to see or get involved. And so we come to confession today in order to see 
and tell the truth about ourselves. That we, that we only give a small part of what God asks of us. In confession, we tell the truth in order to be refashioned as instruments of God's love and renewing work in the world. So pray with me. Lord, you come to us, but we do not recognize you. You call, but we do not follow. You command, but we don't obey. You bless us, but we do not thank you. Please forgive and awaken us. Lord, you accept us, but we do not accept others. You forgive us, but we do not extend that forgiveness to others. You love us, but we do not love our neighbors, let alone our enemies. Please forgive and awaken us. Lord, you showed us how to carry out your mission, but we still insist on our own. You identified yourself with the outcasts, the needy, the lonely, the poor. But it is so hard to be bothered and to find out what is happening to them. You suffered and died for the sake of all, but we want to maintain our comfort, stay asleep rather than alert and active, waiting in anticipation of what you're doing and will do. Forgive us through Jesus Christ, your son through whom you call us your own, even in the face of everything we do, say, think and believe that may deny it, and awaken us through the power of your Holy Spirit at work within your church. Amen. So what are we going to say? Should we continue to sin in order that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who die to sin go on living in it? Do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus? We're baptized into his death. Therefore, we have been buried with him by baptism into his death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. So consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus, because in Christ Jesus we are forgiven. Thanks, Thanks be, be to, to God. God. Amen. Amen. It is a privilege to stand here and, and to bring God's word to you today. It, uh, our family has had, as, as uh, Kathy said, had a long history here. I, I, my wife and I, not on these stairs, these weren't here, but we were married here. Um, our children were baptized here, and we were nurtured in our faith in this congregation. And much of what I've been able to do in my career and in my life as a pastor is because of this place and you all. Um, it's a real gift. And, uh, okay. Amen, let's be done. Um, that's where we're going to be. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open them up. We're going to look at Luke uh, chapter 10, the first nine verses, and then we're going to look at Romans chapter 13, starting at verse 8. <clears throat> Luke 10, after this, the Lord appointed 70 others, sent them on ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself intended to go. He said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest, 
to send out laborers into his harvest. It's one of the few places, it's not just ask, the word is pray, the Lord of the harvest. There's only a few times in the New Testament where Jesus says pray like this. One's the Lord's prayer, one of the others is this. Pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the field. Go on your way. See, I'm sending you like lambs into the midst of wolves. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this house. And if anyone is there who shares in peace, your peace will rest on that person. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide. For the laborer deserves to be paid. Do not move about from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and its people welcome you, eat what is set before you, cure the sick who are there, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Daunting words for us. Go into towns, share this peace, share the good news, cure the sick, and say the kingdom of God has come close to you. Romans chapter 13, starting at verse 8. Paul's just finished talking about how how to be subject to authorities, uh, governments, and others. Principalities and powers, you might call them, in the New Testament. Um, And in this place, uh, he continues on. What does it look like to live in a context that isn't Christian? What does it look like to live in a place where the prevailing uh, culture is nothing like the God uh, who has called you into his family is asking you to live? Verse 8, Owe no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know what time it is, how it is now the moment for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first became believers. The night is far gone, the day is near. Let us then lay aside the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us live honorably as in the day, not in reveling and drunkenness, not in debauchery and licentiousness, not in quarreling and jealousy. It's one of the few things you can do, whether it's daylight or or nighttime. Uh, You can be jealous and... uh, and, uh, uh, quarrel. Um, This doesn't have to be late at night. Um, Instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. This is the word of the Lord. Luke 10 says that when the 70 were sent out, uh, even if they were rejected in a town, and had to kick the dust off their feet. Two things. One was to heal the sick. The other thing that they were supposed to do was announce that the kingdom of God has come near to them. 
What it means is the way things are supposed to be has come right to their doorstep. What they're supposed to do when they go into these towns is to cry out like a town crier and said, God has come really close by. Have you paid attention? Wake up. It's not the town crier announcing it's time to go to bed. It's the town crier saying it's time to get up. Wake up. Wake up and pay attention to what God's doing. Because things are different. Because the very power of God is now available to you and yours to live differently than everyone around you. Wake up to a new reality. C.S. Lewis describes this in... <laughs> you, you thought you'd get away from C.S. Lewis. It's just not going to happen. Um, <laughs> you're... You, you get this wonderful story called The Silver Chair in the Chronicles of Narnia. And if you've never read the stories, that's fine. Sometimes just this kind of fantasy just doesn't relate to you. Maybe you're more of a, a biography person. But, but in the Chronicles of Narnia and The Silver Chair, the story is of these children that, that arrive in this uh, another world called Narnia. Uh, the Christ figure is a great lion named Aslan. Uh, the, the world operates differently. It, time can go on and on in that world, and no time will pass in our world. And these children are drawn in to participate in a mission. Almost every single time, they've got tasks to do. And um, in the silver chair, the particular task that they have to do is they're supposed to save a prince who has been captured by the Emerald Witch. She is the queen of under underworld, underland, I guess they call it. And uh, she lives underground, great caves, all that, but never comes up above into what they call overworld. So it's underland and overworld, and she's the, the head of it. And she's captured this prince and enslaved him. The children find him along with their companion. Their companion is this interesting character. Yeah, Lewis modeled him after the gardener in his home in Oxford. And his name is Puddleglum. And if you look at a picture of him on the wall at the kilns in, in uh, Oxford, it's fascinating. He kind of looks like him. He's tall and lanky. and looks like he'd have straw coming out of his head. And, uh, but a marsh wiggle has webbed feet. He's kind of frog-like but tall like a person. It doesn't make any sense. But Puddleglum is their companion. And they're all captured. They're all captured when they find the prince. And the queen is uh, very, the witch is very nice to him. She called herself a queen. Um, and she begins to um, play a small harp and uh, throw some things on a fire and begins to lull them to sleep. And what they do is they begin to talk to her about overworld and what it's like. And they um, begin to say things like, um, like you see that we have a son. She said, well, what's the son like? What is this son of yours? And she said, well, the son is like that lamp over there on the table. The children would say that. And the witch would say this, oh, I see. Your son is just, just a child's tale. You're making up a bigger and better lamp. And she does this with everything they talk about in, in Overworld. And she just says, the reality is what's underneath. 
It's this underworld. We have lamps, but we don't have suns. Then they mention the name of Aslan. Well, who is this Aslan, she says. And she starts strumming faster, and the, and the smell in the room gets thicker, and they get more and more tired. And they say, well, it's like a big cat. It's bigger than a cat, a really big cat. And she goes, oh, I see. You've imagined once again that you have this reality, but, but you're just making up something bigger than what's in front of you. And so she goes on and on with this story with them. And finally, at some point, she said, these are all copies. They're simply dreams or imagination of something better than what you've got. At that juncture, Puddleglum does what Lewis says is a very brave thing. He knew it wouldn't hurt him as much because he had web feet and they were cold-blooded. But he walked over to the fire and he stamped it out. And Lewis comments this. He says, uh, there's nothing like burnt marshwiggle to wake people up <laughs> from a deep enchantment. And so he does. He does that and wakes them up. And this is what he says. One word, ma'am, he said, coming back from the fire, limping because of the pain. One word, all you've been saying is quite right. I shouldn't wonder. I'm a chap who always liked to know the worst and to put the best face on it. So I won't deny any of what you said. But there's one thing more to be said, even so. Suppose we have only dreamed or made up all those things, trees and grass and sun and moon and stars and Aslan himself. Suppose we have. Then all I can say is that, in that case, the made-up things seem a good deal more important than the real ones. Suppose this black pit of a kingdom of yours is the only world. Well, it strikes me as a pretty poor one. And that's the funny thing of it. We're just babies making up a game, if you're right. But four babies playing a game can make a play world which licks your real world hollow. That's why I'm going to stand by the play world. Not that our lives will be very long, I should think. But that's a small loss if the world's as dull a place as you say. I think it was Pascal's wager is that I'm going to live as though the gospel's true because I don't lose anything on the other side if it's not. And I have everything to gain if I believe. Everything. Luke, Paul, they're announcing something that's taking place that's different. There's another reality to the one that we live with and walk with and we hear through televisions and radios and, and the newspapers and our friends. There's another reality at work all the time that's real. The narrative that we're being told day in and day out that's repeated in our ears is a false narrative. It's not the story of the way things are. God has told us the way things are and the way things are supposed to be. We find it here in the scripture. We find it in the life of Jesus. We find it in each other. 
and we're called into that world, and that world licks that underworld hollow. What Paul is writing in Romans says, wake up. This kingdom is breaking in all the time. Wake up and be part of it. Wake up and be different than everything else around you. Not just be different individually, but when the New Testament uses the word you, it means y'all. We just don't, in California, we don't have it. You have to go to the South. Um, y'all just come, you know. It's never just you come, it's y'all come. And I, my, my family's all from Memphis, and, and, uh, and I slip right into it when I go back there. Y'all just do this and that. And then, and then I think uh, Chelsea's headed to New Jersey soon, and it's you guys. I mean, you guys all do this, you know. But in California, it's just you. Um, why don't you come over? And, and usually we mean individuals. But the scripture's never like that. It's always plural. You all. So you all live differently, together, so people will get it. Celtic Christianity um, got a hold of this and adopted a way to show it. Um, in the little book, The Celtic Way of Evangelism, which is a great read, by the way. It's, it's informative historically, but it's also challenging in the way we live. And um, in that book, um, they describe what the Celtic uh, monks did when they set about evangelizing the Picts and the Scots in the 5th century, 4th century AD. And what they did was they went into uh, regions and they would build what they called a termen or turman. And it was a, a, a defined space. It would have a wall that surrounded it. It wasn't a big defensive wall. It was just a stone wall that defined a space and they lived within that space. They functioned that space. It was a wall that defined a different way of living. And they said inside this way of living, um, it would be free of aggression, it would be free of violence, and it would be devoted to God's purposes, and the community that's here would model that paradise that God intended. May not achieve it, but we're going to try to model it together. We're going to try to be a forgiving people. We're going to try to be a people of grace and goodness. A people that would actually do the things that God intends to do in the world rather than what the world says, which are things like, well, you need to get ahead. Or another false narrative would be something like, well, if you go to college, you'll be successful. Sorry, parents, I didn't mean to uh, dash your message to your kids. Um, but, but that's it. There's so many false narratives that we keep believing are the way forward. And they're not. God has set it straight. And he's demonstrated it in Jesus. And now he says, live that way. And inside that terramen would be a different way of living. In fact, um, they always had a guest house. Um, if you go to uh, Dunfermline Abbey, which is uh, just a little bit west of Edinburgh, uh, it's, uh, it used to be the capital of Scotland long before Edinburgh was. You find the, the graves of Malcolm and others, the great kings, early kings of Scotland, buried in Dunfermline Abbey. But the most striking thing of Dunfermline Abbey is its guest house. It was huge. And people would come through. And you didn't have to live 
you could stay in the guest house. It usually was the choice spot. It had the, the best views. It had the best access. But it wasn't caught up in the middle of what the monks did. You didn't have to abide by everything that they did. You didn't have to get up at the crack of dawn to pray. Uh, you, didn't have to, you, know, you didn't have to participate in all of it, but you got to watch it. You got to see it. So you saw what people really were like. That's hard for us because people don't see how we interact. We do that in here. We've defined our chairman with these walls, um, but nobody can see in. And what we're invited to do is to create terraments outside. Outside and not by ourselves, not just our homes, because it could be a home, but places where our relationships are visible to, to others. And in that, how we treat one another in public so others can see is our witness. That's how we show people we know the one, we know what time it is. We know that God's kingdom is breaking in now. It's an amazing thing. It's a community approach to the Christian life. It's just what we're supposed to do. It's a, it creates a zone of human concern, if that makes any sense. So this is how a zone of human concern works. Uh, many of you know my history I, um, and uh, family background and things like that. My my dad was an alcoholic, and I don't, there's no badge of honor there. It's just what it is. And a lot of you um, have been in those kinds of families. Um, it, it, uh, family life was chaotic. It was hard. I became a Christian in part because of it, in response to that. Um, called me into a new family and a new way of being. And, um, but I was having great difficulty in that as a, as a young man. And I, I remember Ken Williams, who was not my dad, but Ken uh, was a member at St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church where I grew up. And Ken pulled me aside one day, and this is what he said. He said, Craig, he knew something of my background, and Ken was a recovering alcoholic. He said, Craig, you know you can still love your dad, but you don't have to subject yourself to his behavior. Saved my life. It saved my life because Ken got it. He knew what was, was challenging me at the core of who I was. He knew me well enough. He knew my circumstance well enough. And it was a human concern zone, that church, where he could take just a bare, very basic human concern and he could bring wisdom to it. He gave me a way to live and move forward. That's what we're called to do. Create zones, in a sense, where people are free to come and go, and they get to not only observe, but to experience the love of God in our midst. See, the one thing about the, the Terman, it was their hospitality. Guests were always, almost, um, kind of an elevated spiritual presence. They were never seen as a threat to the community. They were always seen as valued guests, even if they didn't believe anything. They could be pagans. They could be worshiping other gods. It didn't matter. They were invited in. Why? Because inside that circle, we were attempting to say we know what time it is. The behavior that God wants us to be is moving right into it. And we're going to live it out together and see if you like it. Taste and see that the Lord is good. 
So the challenge for our text says this. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. So put him on. Dress up, so to speak. Put on the clothes, put on the, the look, whatever that means. And, and it's like, you know, I think about that and it's such an awkward thing. How do I actually dress up like Jesus? I mean, you don't go, you know, robes and sandals, I think that's great. But that's not exactly what he means. So what does it look like for us to dress up like Jesus? I believe it's that same mindset piece of saying, I'm going to believe, like Puddleglum says, I'm going to believe the makeup world because it's better than the rest. I'm going to believe what God says because there's no alternative any better. I'm going to believe what Jesus tells me because it's the truth. I'm going to love my enemies because Jesus says that's the way to live. I'm going to respect my elders. I'm going to be a person that lives counterculturally. We have a document actually in our book of confessions that does that for us. And it's a document that I think was written in one of the most difficult times in human history from a church that was at one point complicit with some of the greatest atrocities um, we've known in the world. And it's a, a confession called the Declaration of Barman. And in that declaration, Karl Barth, who mo- wrote most of it, I think just overnight, um, he was an interesting theologian and uh, just took it upon himself to write these things. But this is what the church said in the midst of Nazi Germany. This is just one part. Um, it says, rather speaking the truth in love, they quote scripture at every point, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body is joined and knit together. The Christian church is the congregation of the brethren and sisters in which Jesus Christ acts presently as the Lord in word and sacrament through the Holy Spirit. As the church of pardoned sinners, us, it has to testify in the midst of a sinful world with its faith as with its obedience, with its message and also with its order, that it is solely his property, Christ's property, that's us, and that it lives, the church lives and wants to live solely from his comfort and from his direction in the expectation of his appearance. It's a lot of words. But it basically says we will derive our life solely from Jesus. And the narrative we believe will be just from him. Hitler was trying to usurp the church and tell the church that the church was his servant or the servant of the government. And he would have quoted the passage just a little bit earlier in Romans 13, about your duty to government. And the Declaration of Barman just says, not quite. There's nuance to this. And then it says this. This is how it works. Quote scripture. It says whose we are. And then it says, there's always a rejection. But here's what the church said. We reject the false doctrine as though the church were permitted to abandon the form of its message and order to its own pleasure or to changes in prevailing ideological and political convictions. 
that it is not our pleasure to change it. That is God alone. And we are called simply to live it out. Live out this good news. Put on Christ together. So here's what I'd like to ask you. I actually don't have an answer for this. We don't live in a uh, tamarind. We don't live in these enclosures altogether. We live in neighborhoods. We live in individual houses. We uh, go home and hit the button and our moat uh, drawbridge goes up and we drive into the garage and we hit it again and it goes down and we don't see anybody. And we live alone in our places. But if you were to develop a tamarind, if you were to develop a circle of stones or to find an area, not so much a place, but of relationships, where there was hospitality for the person that doesn't believe and room for you and others to interact together, what would it look like? Can you imagine your sphere of influence being so secure that you could create a space that's permeable for people that believe and don't believe. To have conversations about substantive things, hard things, where you can care about people's great difficulties, where they can say what's really going on, where they can reveal some secrets that just are not things you say in polite society. They're not politically correct. Can you imagine a place like that in this community? Or should I say, multiple places like that, scattered all over town, to gather and create a space where the kingdom of God values are lived out. We extend grace and mercy and forgiveness to all people, including each other. And people begin to learn because they begin to see that God really makes a difference. Can you imagine what that would look like for you? What would it take for you to do that? What would you have to both believe and give up to create that space? I just don't have an answer for you but I think it's the right way to think about our lives and to consider waking up to a new reality that many of us have just fallen asleep to. I fall asleep to it. I've been a Christian for over 40 years. I fall asleep all the time on what I'm supposed to do and be, and I need to be wakened again. So friends, wake up. See what God's up to and participate in it now and the rest of your days. Amen. We have seen the pain that shaped our hearts and in our shame we're still Feeling we are drawing close to love.
God, who bursts into the midst of our conventional lives with your holy call. We pray that your mighty spirit will be upon us and that you will awaken us to the way things truly are, to your presence here amongst us and at work in our world. Look with compassion on the whole human family. Break down the walls that separate us. Surround with your love people here and around the world who are looking and longing for someone to care. Shelter those who are surrounded by death and devastation in so many places in the world. Heal and restore all who are ill. Hear the names of these for whom we pray as we speak them aloud before you. O oh Lord, give us imagination and compassion and courage to create spaces of caring in your name, to live into your kingdom purposes. And if today we might be the means by which you answer the prayer of another, may your spirit find us neither deaf nor defiant, but keen to do your purpose through Jesus Christ our Lord. We bring you these gifts with thanksgiving, asking that you will use them and that you will use us to do the work of your kingdom here and around the world. Even as we pray for the day when your kingdom comes in its fullness, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
I'd be remiss if I just didn't say thank you. I get to play in the band regularly. And uh, what a great gift. They're leading worship and thank them. They are, you can give them applause if you want to. Yeah, they deserve it. The staff of this congregation, again, has nurtured us and our family. And take advantage of that, friends. This is a great place to be. And it's a well-kept secret. Um, we've got to stop that and uh, let people know. And may you stop that. May you wake up. And the secret that you have and that you know in the gospel of Jesus Christ, may it become everyday reality for you and for your family and those you love and those you have yet to meet. So they might come to give honor and glory and praise to the one God who made us all. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.